0: Hi everyone, and welcome to episode 267 of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Myth Busting, an interview with Laura Perry. My name is Matt Sabatello. My name is Richard Johannesson. So you're in for a real treat today because Laura Perry came onto this podcast and busted so many myths about parasites, Lyme disease, mold, heavy metals, and so much more. Laura walks us through her painful journey of chronic illness, her diagnosis with Lyme disease, and her transition from Western medicine to a more natural approach to healing, where she developed the tools that she's now using with her clients to help them get their health back. So without further ado, Laura Perry in Mythbusting.
1: Hey, Laura Perry, and welcome to the Tick Bootcamp Podcast.
2: (laughs) Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here.
1: Um, We're really excited to have you here. So Laura, before we get too deep into your journey, we'd like to sort of build out what you're doing now. So talk to us about what you do for work, and in particular, what do you do to help folks in the Lyme community?
2: Yeah. So my entire practice is built around the the practice of muscle testing. Are you familiar?
1: We are generally familiar, but we know we're going to be much more familiar with that after <laughs> this podcast, which is why we have you, Ms. Perry, on the podcast.
2: Yes. So essentially what muscle testing does, and there are a variety of different ways, and I actually teach people how to muscle test through a course that I offer and get much more into detail on this. But Really muscle testing allows you to peek inside a bio individual body in the same way that you would kind of do like a bio resonance scan sort of, but it's, it's very point in time and it's, it's very, I mean, it's extremely comprehensive because you can pretty much ask any question and the autonomic nervous system of the person that you're testing is going to register a response because all of this is all of the things in our body that we want to know on a subconscious on a conscious level that are making us sick are actually stored in the subconscious and in our autonomic nervous system. And we have an actual field that will contract and expand based off of basically how ill we are. And so I'm essentially in the same way that a radio right would transmit waves and someone could be singing in California and you hear it in New York. It's Uh, it's kind of what I'm doing with muscle testing. I'm pinging that radio station. I'm pinging your autonomic nervous system. It's sending hits back to me based off of what I'm picking up on in the body. So I have developed a methodology that I personally utilize to figure out what is being harbored in your body, in your organ systems, in the body of my clients. And then we work from there at a pace, depending upon what the body how, how quickly or slowly the body wants to move, to remove uh, to peel back the layers, the pathogens and the toxins. So, in a nutshell, that's basically what I'm doing.
1: So, what's the name of your company, and how long have you been doing this um, this muscle testing work?
2: Yeah, so um, it's it's really hard to remember, but it's Laura J Perry LLC. <laughs> And uh, I have been doing this work for three full years, muscle testing now. Um, and I have two employees. I have one that does it alongside of me, full time, a colleague, Ann Silverowski. and then um, Brianna is in training.
1: Sorry, right. Now let's let's walk it all back. Let's let's yeah. now flesh out Laura Perry and how she came to be uh, the the muscle tester who is now offering these services that allow you to first identify an individual treatment plan and then ultimately help people to measure how that treatment plan is ultimately developing. And that's very important because obviously every one of us is biologically different. Every one of us has a separate microbiome. Every one of us has a very different set of um, uh, microbes that are causing us to be sick. Every one of us has different toxin levels and we have so much diversity within this community of people who are sick, that we certainly need to find ways of individualizing both our diagnosis and our treatment and make sure that we are measuring what progress we're making. Because of course, if we're not measuring our progress, then we don't know whether or not we are or are not properly pivoting. So all of that is vital to a successful outcome. Yes. And I was a finance major
2: and while I don't do anything related to that now I need data and what i found in the muscle testing community with that that was that there was a big lack in the practice of muscle testing in being able to quantify someone's progress so it was a lot of picking up on this and picking up on that and then sure you would test the dosage but how do we know if the, that pathogen level is going down? So I, and intrinsically, I had taken a bunch of different courses and just sort of developed my own method. And I measure everything in numbers and percentages. And I want the body to be able to perceive. I, when I'm asking a, a question, because muscle testing is very based off of intention. I am asking that with the intention of how much of a problem is your body perceiving this pathogen as and then i'm measuring based off of that and i'm measuring things i'm measuring organ function i'm measuring pretty much you can measure anything i have my own method for how i do it but i measure those things every time we get together and so it's not just going off of whether your symptoms are improving which obviously that's the best news that's that's the whole reason we work together is to get your symptoms to improve. But I think it can really be beneficial, especially if someone's in a, let's say a parasite cleansing phase and they're just feeling really downtrodden because it's a hard process to show them that, oh, wow, you have made X percentage improvement in lowering your parasite load. And they know that because they see them coming out, it feels good to see the numbers going down. And so that is sort of how I, you know, have developed my method. And really it's been observation. I mean, I can't, I can't say from muscle testing, there's any, you know, I can't draw causality in any way, but what I can do is measure a bunch of data sets and draw inferences. And that's really what I've done in my practice. And it's been unbelievable because a lot of times I can take that inference and then go to PubMed and Google and it will be spot on to the exact thing that I'm picking up at, in hundreds of people from muscle testing.
1: So, all right. So let's, let's pause there for a second to talk about um, how you ultimately came to be the muscle testing person that you are and using it as a, as a, as a tool for people on the healing journey. But so let's first of all, where do you, where do you live? I live in Richmond, Virginia. And is that where you grew up or is that, are you a recent transplant?
2: So I grew up about an hour north in Fredericksburg, Virginia, and I went to the University of Richmond in Richmond, Virginia.
1: So you're, and you're, you're a Virginia gal through and through?
2: I am. Yeah. Virginia So, for life.
1: so talk to us about, talk to us about uh, what it was like to grow up in Virginia. What was your childhood like? Yeah. So I, <laughs>
2: Just such a loaded question sometimes because, you know, your perception of childhood kind of like shifts as you start doing deep trauma work and you, you know, overall, I always had everything I needed. Um, I definitely had, um, I played a lot of sports growing up. I certainly have my fair share of trauma, like a lot of kids from, you know, parents and, and, and whatnot, but I, played a lot of sports growing up. Um, I never really felt great. Truthfully. I I don't think I felt good my whole life. I had my tonsils taken out when I was five pneumonia, hay fever. I mean, it just started the, the, the ball rolling of being ill. So,
1: so you were, you were always a sickly kid.
2: I was very, very sick. And I looking back on it, I'm like, I'm 99% sure we were living in extreme levels of mold. Um, my dad was breaking out in rashes on his arms. My mom was covered in hives. There was, there was something environmental going on. We just knew nothing about it at that time. You know, they were certainly doing the best that they could. So
1: were you, were you playing your sports outside? Were you an outdoorsy gal? Um, and, um, and were you also spending time out, um, you know, just in the outdoors?
2: Oh yeah. I mean, I was always outside. I mean, I mean, we, I wasn't on like an expansive, lot with woods and all that. Um, But I was always outside. And yeah, I mean, my I played a lot of tennis. I played a lot of field hockey. So I was outside a lot. I don't know if there are any ticks on the tennis court, but (laughs) I was an avid, very competitive tennis player growing up.
1: So what did you know about ticks and tick diseases uh, when you were growing up? Literally nothing.
2: I mean, and my parents were so follow the doctor's orders. We just listen to the doctor and we just go to the doctor and we take a pill and we just, that's how we live.
1: So well, let's we'll talk about your relationship with doctors separately. Let's, let's just talk about your relationship with your parents. Uh, were they protective parents and were they always trying to put you in a position where you'd be safe uh, regardless of what activity you are participating in? Oh,
2: yeah. I mean, my parents were very protective. And, you know, anytime we had the slightest sniffle, it was like, let's get on it. Let's fix this. So, yeah, I mean, I would say they were very protective.
1: So, Lars, when's the first time you heard about uh, Lyme disease? I didn't hear
2: about Lyme disease. Oh, my gosh. I was probably in my 20s. Yeah. So, probably 15 years ago.
1: So you, you never knew anyone with Lyme disease and you never had any educational or, or social or cultural support that would put you in a position where you could identify when you were in threat, threat when, when you were being threatened by Lyme disease or ticks. Correct. So now you, you did share with us that you you, you were almost always, always unwell. Uh, yeah. When uh, When did you first start to feel the symptoms of what you now know to be Lyme disease.
2: Yeah. I mean, and again, I have my own certain views on, you know, what causes Lyme to proliferate and what, you know, and how the body works in the immune system. But in terms of, you know, a lot of the things that I think I was experiencing, it was probably, I mean, back to I don't know. I mean, yeah, young age, five.
1: Okay. So you, so you think you were you were infected at some point before you were five years old?
2: Yeah, probably in utero.
1: Okay. So um, talk to us about how your Lyme disease was affecting your ability to pursue your life's dreams and your life's goals.
2: Oh, I mean, I, I definitely had a hard time uh, with physical endurance, um, so just in terms of being a kid in sports, I had a really difficult time there. I also had an extremely difficult time focusing and concentrating at school. I was constantly, um, ha- I had rec- recurring sinusitis, and I was on an antibiotic from the time I was pretty much five to nineteen. And so it was, cr- you know, crippling to some degree.
1: It was so build that out for a little bit. How how were how your how was your illness impacting you academically? Were you were you struggling academically? And do you believe um, that you would have performed at a higher level had you not been suffering from the symptoms of Lyme disease?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I mean in high school, I school came relatively easy to me, but I definitely had what I noticed were like AD ADD symptoms, attention deficit symptoms. And it really came through in college. That's when it really started to affect me. And I had a very difficult time
1: keeping up. All right. So build that out first. So um, you, you shared with us, you went to college in your home state.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, what was your goal when you went to college? What, what, what did you envision yourself doing after you graduated from college?
2: What did I envision myself doing? Or what did my dad envision me doing? Well, let's so, talk about
1: you first. And then we can talk about your dad. <laughs> I'm sure your dad because... had uh, your, 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 yeah. uh, your, 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 your needs in mind
2: yes for sure so i i mean i was going to be some big businesswoman and i went to school got a finance degree and uh i mean but it was such a struggle it was such a struggle the entire time studying for extended periods of time i just quickly lost my self confidence i mean it it shattered my any, I went in a very confident young woman and I left college being just extremely unsure of myself because I could barely, I could not sit down and study and retain information. Like the information would just not go into my brain, which was probably a sign from God that I was in the wrong major, but it was, it is what it is. And
1: so maybe 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 it was a sign from god or maybe it was just you getting sicker and sicker and because you were getting sicker and sicker your body was not able to process the information that you had available to you because you were suffering from neurological life yeah yeah
2: exactly so so i mean it definitely impaired me cognitively um yes and it, it it got progressively worse as I got older
1: now what what was happening in college uh, that now that you're reflecting back on it do you think caused you to have your your disease triggered and and sort of developing more yeah. uh, more aggressively were you what, what, was your toxic load changing were you oh, changing absolutely remotely? what was ha- what was happening at that time what was that trigger I,
2: I was living in a moldy dorm. And I went and got, I, um, you know, those allergy pricks, because again, I, at the time was so sick, they did a scan of my sinuses and they said, if you don't get help now, you're going to, they're going to bleed into your, the sinuses are going to bleed into your brain and we could have a hemorrhage. We could have a problem. So I was just getting so sick and I couldn't focus. And so my parents took me to an allergist in the mold on my back was really the only one and it just exploded and it was dusty and nasty. And sure. I was drinking. I mean, I was doing all the things that college kids do. My toxin load was sky high. My immune system was suppressed from eating terribly drinking too much. And, you know, I think the real icing on the cake was living in a moldy dorm. So I ended up having endoscopic sinus surgery at UVA in Charlottesville. Um, They, well, they hospitalized me. First, and I was in the hospital, and they sent me home with a pick line of IV antibiotics, which I had for two weeks, and I got sick immediately after getting off the antibiotics. Okay. So, yeah. So
1: up until up until you went to college, although you were sick because you believe that you contracted Lyme um, congenitally, um, you, you you were able to manage the uh, the disease during your childhood and your educational experience was relatively easy, right? You didn't have any challenges. You then find yourself in a moldy environment. You start making some of the traditional college student lifestyle choices, drinking and running around with the boys and staying up late and doing all those kinds of things. And you find yourself in a in a difficult, uh, in a difficult spot, right?
2: Yeah, 100%. And I mean, you know, I can draw a correlation to when I was we were young and living in what I believe was that very whole moldy house too. I mean, two of the sickest points in my life. I really believe were triggered by external factors that flared the pathogen in the body.
1: Now, do you believe it flares the pathogen in the body or it suppresses your immune defenses and therefore the- That. Okay, so so you're now living in a a moldy environment. Your immune system is now suppressed and you're getting really, really sick. You have to go, you have to be hospitalized. You have to go for a surgical procedure. You're coming home with, you're coming home with, IV antibiotics, they keep you, they keep you stable until you're off the antibiotics and then you get sick again. Anybody at all thinking lying? No,
2: never. No one was thinking anything holistically. I mean, it was just trust the white coat. Here we go. We're just going to keep going. And I didn't have the mental fortitude or capacity at that point in my life. You know, I mean, and you're still so much under the wing of your parents and they're really... Navigating the journey for you, you really are just kind of showing up to these appointments. At least I was at that point in my life, even though I was a very, very much a go getter and very driven. I mean, I was just being led through this journey at this point.
1: Well, you, but you were very sick and you're neurologically impaired, right? You needed yeah. to be guided through the journey. I did. It was, it was, yeah, it wasn't just a function of your age or or right. having, you know, helicopter parents. You were really sick.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And they weren't helicopter. They were great. They, my dad is a dog with an absolute bone and he was going to find the best people and the best everything. And, you know, I mean, I was having ear problems. I just, I I saw, um, I almost dissociated and blocked it out because it is so traumatic. And I know we're going to talk about that, but yeah, we just saw a million people and not one ever said anything about Lyme disease.
1: Now, what was anyone um, focusing on your immune dysfunction at that point? Or were they just kind of treating, you know, the symptoms as they were developing?
2: It was just 100% the Band-Aid approach. I mean, it was, here's the symptom, let's take a pill and suppress the symptom. And I think they really view that as root cause treatment. (laughs) I think in their mind it is, you know.
1: So talk to us about how your health challenges continue to decline.
2: Yeah. So I graduated cognitively. I don't feel like I ever really improved because I mean, it was, I will say my sinuses got so much better. Something I had dealt, dealt with my whole life while, you know, I think they took out part of my nose that I probably needed. I, we'll say that aspect of it got better. I could breathe a little better. Um, you know, all of that jazz, but in terms of cognitive function, it really felt like I just kept declining and, you know, I had gotten a job. I was, and, 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 you know, my, it's not just the physical ramifications that you take a hit on. I mean, you start to lose your sense of self to some degree because this person that you knew, is now completely unable to like sometimes string sentences together. And I had had such a difficult time at the first job learning new information. I was a wholesaler um, for a you know group insurance carrier. And I ended up going and getting myself tested for ADD because I said, I'm not going to be able to function and keep up with these people if I don't start taking ADD meds or something. And I will, I will say that's kind of what started the real, de- real bad decline.
1: Okay. So talk about how, I mean, and it sounds like you were really sick when you're going through all the surgical procedures in college. So you get your first job, you're, you're struggling, uh, you're starting to identify perhaps that you're suffering from ADD uh, or, or ADHD or some other you yeah. know, acronym for, uh, yeah. you know, for, for, um, you know, what's wrong with you. And, and so how, how did your decline, I mean, give us, describe how you declined, because it sounds like you were really, really sick before that.
2: Yeah, I mean, it just, so, I mean, I physically was, I mean, it, it was, it's probably a combination of things, but cognitively, I was just having a very hard time. I couldn't take information in and, and like retain it and then spit it back out. Uh, it, was, it was just almost impossible to do that. And I had a brand new job and a brand new set of like information. And I mean, I just, I had so much that I had to learn. I mean, and it was a sales job and it required me to think cognitively on the spot. Right. I mean, I needed to have these back and forth. It was a very male dominated industry. So I really needed to be astute and, um, what I was selling and it was an intricate, intricate, intricate product. As well. And so products, and I needed to know all of the things, the ins and outs and contractual liabilities. And it was just so difficult. I mean, I I would just sometimes stare off into space and honestly want to go take a nap because I was exhausted. And my whole life, I realized until I got well that I had been exhausted, but you don't know that as a kid. And you can't communicate that as your kid, as a kid. And if that's your only reality that you've ever lived or experienced, you just think that's normal. And so,
1: yeah, let's talk about where you were emotional. You did, you said that you went to college as a very secure young woman. Yeah. You left college kind of broken, right? And now you're you're struggling uh, in the workplace. So talk about where you were, you know what what headspace were you in and how were you feeling emotional?
2: Yeah, I mean, I probably, I would say confused, um, depressed, maybe I didn't, you know, see it as depression then but I definitely feel like you know I felt like I was underperforming for sure and
1: give, it, give us more I mean were, were you grieving were you sad where did you go through the grief cycle talk to us about you know what was going on emotionally and and and, and um do you think that uh, your mindset was having an impact on your um on your physiological decline
2: I mean, I don't think that I was grieving, so to speak, because I don't know if I was as aware of what was happening in my body, if that makes sense. So being able to draw emotions and put emotions to a way that you're feeling requires self awareness. And I don't feel like I had that much around my body because it's kind of something that I felt like I pushed out of sight, out of mind, because when you don't feel like you have any solution to the way you feel why in my mind, logically speaking, why was I going to just ruminate on how bad I felt? It was more that I felt very low in my self-esteem and self-confidence because of the way these cognitive issues I felt like were and fatigue were playing out. I mean, also the weight, my weight would just balloon and come down and balloon and come down. And I couldn't eat anything I was bloated all the time. I mean, it's actually crazy how dissociated I have, you know, was from all of that. And, um, you know, just, I was living a very unhealthy lifestyle at that point also. So, and just never really considered the connection of it all. I mean, I knew food health, like I kind of understood that, but I would, didn't have the self-awareness to truly. Uh, internalize, I think, what was going on with me.
1: So when you say you were living an unhealthy lifestyle, was this sort of a you know part two of the young person post college, you know, staying up late, drinking, running around with all your friends, and really just not taking care of your body?
2: Hundred percent, hundred percent. And it was like, I mean, my job, a lot of men always going out for happy hours. There was lots of celebratory things around hitting sales numbers, and it was very, I mean, it was toxic and I was eating like zone bars. I like gotta eat like three zone bars a day because I was on the road and, you know, I was taking <coughs> Adderall and I mean, it was just the epitome of the thing you should not do to your body. And I was sleeping all, all to, to keep up. And, you know, once I did get the Adderall, I was able to perform cognitively a lot better. But then that obviously, it ran its course. And, you know, we can talk about that when we get there. But it that ended up being essentially my demise along with another medicine.
1: So how long did you stay in the finance world?
2: So I was in finance for three years, and then I kind of bounced around with sales jobs. Um, And it was in I mean, I just did a bunch of different things and then ended up in a project management role at Capital One, managing a pretty l- large team of people in a delivery lane. And that's when I made the exit.
1: Yeah. So talk about the crash, because, you know, we, everyone yeah. who's listening to this podcast now is just watching the train go down the tracks. We see the train is about to run into the wall. We're all wincing because we know it's coming. And uh, so talk, talk to us about the crash.
2: Yeah. So I was definitely over-medicated on Adderall. I mean, to the point that I was having numbness and tingling in limbs and no doctor would admit that this was causing some of this, the issue. I, my adrenals had completely tanked. I could, I had kidney pain again, no one would validate or say that this was potentially the issue. So I said, I'm done messing around. I'm 26 years old. I'm going to go sign up for one of those concierge medicine places, pay a couple thousand dollars. They're going to fix me. They're going to fix me. So I walk in, I tell them how I'm having, um, because at that point I started to have some postural orthostatic tachycardia symptoms. I was having pot symptoms. and Were you fainting? I was not fully fainting. I was just so out of breath constantly when I was upright. Um, and I went in there and he saw that I was puffy under my eyelids and I had not had a sinus infection in at that point, five or six years. And he put me on a, on a class four antibiotic Leviquin, and steroids. And the two should never, ever, ever be combined. They're essentially a lethal combination. And I call it what you want. Um, Fluoroquinolone toxicity, which I mean, definitely there's a component of that, but it suppressed my immune system. It, 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 It took me down. It took me down. I couldn't get out of bed. And that is when it all started. I no longer could tolerate the Adderall, which, drove me to get you know that suppressed my immune system greatly to my organ function and all that and then these two drugs combined together and it just set me over the absolute edge and i've never been more depressed in my life
1: so now when you say it sent you over the edge were you also physically bed bound or were you just emotionally crashing
2: no i was could barely get out of bed. I mean, I have a lot of will and a lot of drive, but it was sleeping 15 hours. I mean, I would sleep immediately when I got home, if I could have afforded to be in bed bound or had known my body well enough, I, I would have said yes, but I would go to work and sit and stare and just count the hours until I could go home at lunch and take a nap. And I, the cognitive decline was so scary. I started stuttering I started, I literally couldn't, I remember being on the phone and my colleague heard me stuttering, trying to hang up the phone. And she was so alarmed. She said, what's going on with you? And this was when I was coming down off the steroids and it just cognitively really my word recall. I mean, my memory, it just, all of it took this massive hit. I mean, in an extremely short and brief period of time. So that was honestly terrifying. It was terrifying. And that is truly the first time I looked into anything really holistic.
1: Okay. So now up to this point, how many different doctors had you seen um, for the various illnesses that you had and still not have anyone bring up one?
2: Oh, I mean- a dozen.
1: Yeah. And at any point, did any doctor ever suggest to you that you needed to be tested for Lyme disease?
2: They tested me, but they tested me using the Western blot. Okay. We so
1: so Lyme was something that came on the radar at some point prior to your crash.
2: Yes. So, well, the doctor that gave me Leviquin was the first doctor to test me for Lyme.
1: What, what type of doctor was that? And why did that doctor believe that you should be tested for Lyme disease?
2: He was an internist and um, honestly couldn't tell you why he thought I should be tested for Lyme. I think he he was at a concierge practice and his job was to find what was making me sick. And I think, I think truly he was checking a box. I don't think he was... A practitioner like uh, he was certainly not a Lyme literate doctor, and he really, I don't think was aware of the the real um, physical effects of Lyme disease. So how did you finally get your diagnosis? so i i I never had a doctor fully diagnose me. It all came up on a bioresonance scan, and it was you know Borrelia. And Rickettsia and Bartonella. So how, did you,
1: how did you get from this traditional MD to now uh, bioresonance, and why was that different than all the other testing that you had done before?
2: Yeah. So it was pretty. It was pretty long time. Truly, I mean, I was driving hours away to try to go to a functional MD, making no progress. At this point, I had horrific SIBO. I mean, the, the symptom list that I was struggling with at this point was so long. Um, I had, you know, like lumps, my, my, all of my lymph nodes were swollen, like all over my body. They told me it was some like internal, some, something or other, I can't even remember the name, but, um, of course they gave me as the, you know, the functional MD gave me a Z-pack for that and got worse. Um, I was dealing with my hair falling out like crazy, um, just so much weight gain. I had gained, I gained like 17 pounds pretty much immediately after the leviquin and the, the steroid situation. And I just started, I started reading into paleo and, you know, diet. And while I have definitely fallen into the orthorexic category at times, like I feel like that was really my... <laughs> segue into the holistic world was food. And I mean, it's a pretty long trajectory from, I can, I tried to heal myself with food. I would just, I would sit on the internet for hours and hours poring over what could this be, you know, and then studying herbs and studying, Mm. I mean, just everything. And You know, on my own with some nutrition and some other things herb-wise, I got my pot symptoms because I was formally diagnosed with pots by a cardiologist. I just I just knew how detrimental like that, those pills that I had taken. I I just could not take pharmaceuticals again. And they wanted me to take pharmaceutical for my pots. And so I managed it with you know salt. And herbs. I mean, now I have not even a trace of it, but it just one thing sort of started leading to the next. And then I, I mean, I even went as far as to be a raw vegan, which whew, that was, I mean, but the things you'll do, right. I mean, you will do anything to, <laughs> to heal. And I was so nutrient deficient from that. And, but I, I had seen some uptick in some areas, but that was really, uh, interesting because there is obviously a very fervent and passionate community around being that way and that way of detoxing. But I found it was not really getting to the root cause of things. Cause if I can't eat an egg, if I'm reacting to an egg, there's obviously something wrong. So omitting the egg isn't fixing the problem. And so that's really how I started to become in tune with my body and focus more on my symptoms. And then I started seeking out root cause treatment to the symptoms that I was experiencing, even food sensitivities, because I truly believe that most food sensitivities can be healed. Um, That it's, it's just, there's something off either minerally or pathogen, there's a pathogen or a toxin, something is causing that reaction. And so I would say maybe five years into it, I found bioresonance scans and sure enough, that you know it came back with a ton a million other things because my immune system had been so insanely depressed and I was stuck in TH2 dominance and you know, a, a million things, but it was really eye-opening. And I really learned throughout that process that I mean, it was just the lesson kept coming with the medical system, right? That I was for me personally, no one in the system was going to save me. And I had to get really honest with myself about that. That I'm not going to go in here and convince Dr. So and so that I have Lyme. <laughs> and I am just going to move forward, you know, based off of the data at hand with these bioresonance scans and act accordingly. And I'm going to focus on alleviating my symptoms. And I'm going to stop seeking any kind of external validation from doctors because it was so demoralizing. And I see it constantly with my clients too, how that affects their psyche when they get gaslit.
0: Laura, I want to ask you about, you were talking about before the role food plays or food sensitivities play in your health. And you say that you realized that you couldn't eat an egg. So when you didn't eat an egg, you'd feel better, but there had to be a reason why you couldn't eat the egg. And that's not normal. Right. So I feel like there's two sides to that, where one side is, yes, I have this sudden food allergy. There's probably something going on causing it. But on the other hand, if you're if you're getting a symptomatic relief, regardless of the fact of the root cause, do you think it's worthwhile to continue to avoid foods that are triggering your symptoms while you're working on identifying what's causing those food sensitivities.
2: Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't sit there and tell anybody to make, to like consume something that made them feel bad. And I, anybody that works with me knows I'm like, I'm so not an alarmist. I'm not a, I'm a recidivist. I'm, you know, I'm less is more type of person. And I think that everybody's bio-individual and you should do, what doesn't make you, you know, what makes you feel the best for a long time. I just had horrific brain fog eating eggs. And it wasn't until I really cleaned up my terrain that now I can eat them consistently with no issues. I can eat raw dairy. I can do all the things. Right. But I just think it's what scares me, especially and of course men can fall into this too, but it almost becomes an addiction when you're trying to control how you feel with food and that, I mean, we do it with supplements too, but it's almost a trauma response. And you get these blinders on of like, oh my gosh, I can eat these five foods. And of course you're, you're not feeling as bad, but then you almost lose sight of the real issue, which is why can't I, why can't I only eat five foods? And I really try to make sure. And that was really beneficial for me too, because I was in sort of a, that mindset of really limiting my food because of my digestive problems. I mean, I was tested for gastroparesis because of how bad my constipation was. And it had been a lifelong problem, which it's no longer, but I, I, I was trying to control it all with, I, I really wanted to try to control it all with food instead of kind of digging a little bit deeper and i just you know the layers are a little it's they're deeper than food
0: right so essentially it's another band-aid right i mean you think okay i can live like this because i'm only eating five foods and i feel good and therefore i don't have to i don't have to look any further i'm going to go back to my life which is a bad thing to do because your health will continue to decline and things will get worse i think is your warning here laura correct 100
2: percent, and i see it so much in a lot of these extreme diet communities and it eventually just catches up. Like the, the same symptoms that you were trying to curb, they end up catching up to be anyway.
0: So I do want I do want to pivot back to you talked about how demoralizing it can be when people don't believe you. And because you were d- d- diagnosed with bioresonance, I'm sure, well, look, when you're diagnosed with a positive Western blot, people don't even believe in Lyme disease. Never mind something <laughs> like bioresonance, right? So that part of it is so it messes with your head. I don't know how else to describe it because you question, at least I did, is this still from Lyme disease? Am I still sick? Is this in my head, right? So you talked about being confused before you got a diagnosis. Now you're talking about being confused when you got a diagnosis and you had to choose to ignore the haters, to ignore the doubters and to proceed forward regardless of all that background noise, right? So, you know, one of the things that I want to confess to is when Rich and I first started to boot camp, we were really, I'll, I'll speak for myself, what I heard about by a resident, I'm like, that can't be real. That's fake. That's snake oil salesman, right? But yeah. look, <laughs> I, I've, been, I've been convicted, Laura. It's real. It's helped countless yeah. people, right? So we have a much different view today than we did two and a half years ago because we've seen these things help people time and time again get properly diagnosed and also be used to get their lives back, right? So how did you overcome that, hur- that hurdle? I mean, you were a Western-minded person, right? And there is a, an extreme barrier of entry for this type of medicine with bioresonance and muscle testing and, and those types of things. So what was the event or what was the trigger that caused you to jump over that, you know, that divide to come to that side of the medicine world?
2: I, I mean, I really just think because I'm a, I am a, I'm an avid self-help book reader and I'm, I'm very, you know, very driven. And I just really kind of had a come to Jesus moment with myself. I mean, for lack of a better you know, phrase, because even my family was like, you are crazy. You know, I mean, and so many women experience this, but the real, I knew there would be no redemption if I didn't just start tuning everybody out and pursuing things on my own. Like I wasn't going to, no one was going to save me here. And, and, and that ultimately I think is what drove me. And I also kind of had to have this, I think it's very easy to get very victim mindset in when you feel like this, right. And no one can help me. I feel so bad. And I remember, I remember kind of almost where I had this epiphany of, okay, Laura, this is your new life. This is how you feel today. This isn't how you have to always feel, but you should be grateful, You should be grateful that you have X, Y, Z. And I just gave myself this massive pep talk and truly stopped ruminating on how bad I felt. And, and just sort of, you know, said to myself, no one else is going to save you, but you, and you have to shift your mindset a little bit to, one of gratitude to move forward. And and eventually I stopped even thinking about or knowing how I used to feel before that. And I can tell you now that I feel a million times better than I ever felt before then. But I really just had to have that mindset shift where my parents are not going to agree. And I, as someone who was a people pleaser and a daddy's girl and wanted daddy to believe everything she said and was seeking, you know, all this validation, from external sources. It just kept the lesson that kept coming through to me was these people do not care. And it's not that they don't care. They don't know how to care. And they, they, they don't know what, you know, and your experience is unique to you. And you have to understand and believe in what, you know, if you want to move forward in this healing journey. And I just sort of made my mind up one day. And then I never, never looked back and I officially became the black sheep of the family. And (laughs) I mean, you know how that goes and I'm, you know, the one posting on the internet about putting coffee up your rear end and.
0: (laughs) But it was the best thing you could have ever done, Laura, because you're, you're, you're feeling better today. Right. And you made, you made a conscious decision to not be stressed by the doubters in your life. And you said you're going to proceed forward. And we know stress inhibits healing, it weakens your immune system. It also puts you in a, in a more to be more likely in a state of fight or flight, which means you're not going to take action to heal. So by changing your mindset, you were from a nervous system standpoint, and from a stress standpoint, and from a physical standpoint, priming your body to be ready to heal when you made that decision. And you had that switch go off to say, I don't care what they think I'm moving forward, and I'm focusing on my health. And I think that that's an important factor in the healing journey, right? And you know, you, you did talk about earlier, I don't want to forget to ask you this question, Laura, that the Adderall, the, the leviquin, and the steroids were really detrimental to your health before your diagnosis, right? But I mean, we've heard a lot of people talk about something called, I think, floxing, which is tied to antibiotics like Levaquin. Do you think that possibly happened to you where you had this adverse reaction to leviquin that made you even sicker than you were?
2: thousand percent. Floxing, fluoroquinolone toxicity is like, um, the abbreviation is flox. So yeah, I was definitely a thousand percent flocks, which basically I'm sure you know this, but I mean, it inhibits your mitochondria. And so I think that's also why the cognitive stuff got so much worse. I think just everything in my body, just at that moment in time, the pathogens just proliferated, not only at a rapid level because of how it suppressed your immune system by basically damaging my, my mitochondria, um, all throughout my body.
0: So you had Lyme disease, various co-infections, probably a ton of other opportunistic viruses, bacteria, pathogens, parasites, et cetera. You now were flocks from antibiotics. You were on steroids, which are suppressing your immune system. You're on Adderall, which is making you worse, not better. Although it was a temporary Band-Aid, but it was still making you sicker at your core. And then you had this crash and you got your diagnosis. So now that you've had this epiphany and you've become, I'll call it, you know, this naturopathic awakening, what are you deciding to do to move forward to treat now that you have a different mindset towards healing than you did before?
2: Yeah. And so, again, like I told you, I tried to treat it with diet for a while. I tried to treat it with being like a vegan, plant based, and I saw some minor improvements. But, you know, I had gotten pregnant and we moved into our first home. And I really think that you know, I, I was at this very, very intense job at Capital One and I was still having a lot of the same cognitive problems. They were getting worse and my boss would tell me something and it was, I mean, she would get relatively peeved because I couldn't remember the things she told me on Monday and I would have to write everything down. And I was like in this hypervigilant state and I was freaked out. And, um, I, felt so out of alignment with what I was doing. Um, and the nutrition and the supplements that I was taking just, again, I had done tons of research, but you're kind of, I felt like I was throwing things at the wall still to some degree, right. I didn't feel like I had a treatment approach. It was just sort of eat these foods that don't make me feel bad. Maybe it'll help with my digestion. And yeah, I have some, I'm not quite as fatigued, Um, but it just got so bad working at that job and I didn't really know why, but I also just felt God calling me to quit my job. And I don't know if the top, this is the appropriate time for that segue or not, but I'm happy to talk about that. And it was just to my core that I just couldn't shake it anymore. And my husband would say to me, you are so passionate about holistic healing. And you remember all these medical terms and no one, this doesn't come like you have, you say you have cognitive problems, but you remember all this stuff. And it just started to make so much sense to me that, whoa, what if this is my calling? What if this is God calling me to be in service of other people and to help them? And I didn't really know what that looked like at the time, because I was still so focused on the nutrition piece of it. And I was taking herbs and supplements, but nothing was really moving the needle. And so I said, I'm going to quit my job. This is crazy, but I'm going to quit my job to heal. So I quit my job and I got so sick, 10 times sicker because we were living in the most mold infested home that I have ever seen. I mean, the, it was just bonkers, but it came to, it it was, wild because I quit and I would never have known. I would never have I would never healed if I hadn't quit. I mean, yes, I got sicker and that was very depressing because I was I was at home um and thinking that I'm going to have all this time to focus on my health and I just felt horrible and I was praying to God over and over again and it was a matter of weeks before I figured out what was really going on there. And Laura, how
0: how did you find out? Because many of us don't really think about mold or know about mold unless we're really embedded in this Lyme community. You listen to this podcast or you're chatting with people that are, you know, really, really into natural healing and natural medicine, right? So what brought it on your radar to test your home for mold or to look for mold in your home?
2: Social media, (laughs) social media. I was following a bunch of holistic accounts that were bringing up mold. And it's one of those things, like you said, where you constantly question yourself when you don't hear other, if it's not super mainstream, you're kind of like, is that, am I really being affected by that? I mean, I don't see mold anywhere. And so I kind of went about it the wrong way, which I got uh, air, air tests, which, you know, thank God they came back so bad that our air quality was so bad because normally air tests don't pick up, you know, especially in, you know, highly sensitive individuals, they're not going to pick up what needs to be picked up. Right. That's only going to happen with an ERMI, but mine were horrific. And so I knew immediately that that was a problem. And then I started just going down the rabbit hole, you know, following PJ Harlow, um, just consuming everything that I could. And, uh, you know, I really I'm the type of person that I don't want to do something twice. <laughs> I'm just going to pay to do it right. And I'm going to do it right one time. And I'm not going to I don't want to have to deal with it again. And I've seen the mistake made so many times where people will just use their local remediator and then their Hermes go up and then they're still sick. And I just couldn't risk that. I mean, it was so, again, the cognitive stuff was out of control from living in mold. I mean, you know, you not only have that suppressing your immune system and making your Lyme symptoms so much worse, but you have the mold that has its own cognitive impact on your brain. So, um, it was just getting pretty out of control. And, but thankfully at that point, it wasn't it, that learning curve wasn't that steep because I had the resources, right. I had a connection to PJ Harlow and I hired her and she led me like as a SME, you know, as a subject matter expert through that whole process. And it really, I would never have been able to put my Lyme into remission had I not address the mold. There's just no way.
0: So Laura, I just want to, for our listeners, ERMI is an environmental relative mold, I think moldiness index. Is that correct? Yep. E-R-M-I, correct? correct? Yep. And that's a highly sensitive mold test that is superior to doing an air quality test. It'll tell you specifically what mycotoxins and what species of mold are in your home or in the area you're testing, right? That's
2: correct. And the reason that ERMI is the preferred method and considered the gold standard is because it's going to pick up your wet molds. And air tests aren't going to really pick up a lot of your wet molds because they're too dense to float in the air column. Um, and so people could be suffering from something that's very localized, right? Like their head is next to a wall and it's filled with stachybotrys, but you don't know that because we hired, you know, Joe inspector, and he just like plopped an air sample down in the middle of your kitchen. And that's not going to tell you anything empirically, but I always use. I think the Ermi, right, and you can get it from Envirobiomics online. I think the Ermi is a great test because it's going to tell you it's going to be a general barometer of do you have a mold problem in your home. You know the instructions are super easy. It's the bottom of a Swiffer, and you go around mycotoxins attached to dust, and it's going to pick up. Based basically, you're going to go to all the dusty places in your house, and it's going to show you the entire fungal ecology of your home.
0: So the Lord now thank God you started doing your research. You started making some connections in the mold world on social media and you did the right thing and you did mold remediation in your home and you did it the right way. So how quickly after doing that, did you start to feel better if at all?
2: Yeah. So uh, <laughs> the thing is when something like mold will suppresses your immune system, everything else in your immune system is going to go, Hey, uh, the pathogens are going to go haywire. So parasites are going to proliferate, Lyme's going to proliferate, um, back other bacteria, mycoplasma, uh, strep staff. I mean, you name it, I have dealt with it. And so, you know, again, I'm glad you asked this question because I think people think, oh, I'm out of mold and I'm going to take like, you know, a couple binders and I'm going to be okay. It took me a good eight months Um, I mean, I saw significant improvement within three or four months, no doubt, right. Energy levels, but I also was dealing with a tooth abscess. I didn't know that I had so many things, you know, so it's, it's not, it's not as linear. And I think that's like with this journey in general, right. It's nothing about it really is linear and you just keep peeling back the layers and.
0: You know, Laura, Laura, I just want to clarify on that. So when you remove the mold, your body was so compromised, your immune system was so compromised that you had all these other things going on, which prevented you from getting better because of just addressing the mold you're saying, I believe, right?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So mold is just so paralytic to your filtering organs. Also that, you know, your liver becomes, you, you have all the stagnation in the body. So your drainage pathways tend to shut down like almost immediately. And then you pair, you get proliferation of Lyme disease and co-infections and, parasites. Parasites go nuts in mold.
0: So I do want to, I think this may be a good segue. When you're talking to Rich earlier, you said that you have your own views on what causes Lyme. So do you have, do you have different views about Lyme disease than, you know, let's say not even the mainstream, but maybe the, the, the Lyme community itself? What, what are these different views towards Lyme that you have that you mentioned to Rich earlier?
2: Yeah. And I don't, so I don't focus as much on Lyme. I focus on the symptoms that Lyme produces because I get nervous about people attaching too closely to a diagnosis where mainstream says you can't heal. And I find that that is not a good place for people to be cognitively. So I, and I, I mean, I can't diagnose, I'm not a doctor, right. But I find that taking a more holistic approach to the body in terms of these are the things that are weakening your immune system and keeping you in th2 dominance, which is keeping your Lyme from going into remission. We focus much, we focus on the things that are below Lyme. And this probably isn't a novel concept. I'm sure you've heard this before. It's just different from mainstream, right? So things like parasites, and I actually believe viruses are a root cause I actually, I strongly believe that viruses are a root cause where, you know, some of the other, um, it's not, that's not necessarily a popular opinion, but I see it all the time in muscle testing.
0: But and, but on, on that note, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but no. do you believe that a virus is the root cause or, or parasites are the root cause? Cause you know, I, and again, it's okay to have differing opinions here if we don't agree and see eye to eye on this, but. You know, I'm of the opinion that it's collectively the soup of pathogens in your body that are making you as sick as you are. And I agree that if you you identify with chronic Lyme, and when you say chronic means forever, I'm not going to get better, that's a really bad mentality to have. And we certainly fully agree with you on that one. But here where I want to have a fun debate, if we don't agree on this, is... Do you think a virus in particular will will be the root cause or is it, is it collectively everything? Because reactivate Epstein-Barr virus, you know, we talk about this all the time, right? You, if you had mana, you have reactiv- you have Epstein-Barr virus becomes reactivated, which is being linked to, to long COVID now. You have parasites, you have Lyme, you have Bartonella, you have Babesia, you have other things going on in your body and you have to address everything to feel better. It's not just treating a virus or, 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 you know, one or many parasites or just treating Lyme. And look, we're a Lyme disease podcast, Laura, and we know you can't just treat Lyme disease and get better. It's not going to happen. If you have chronic Lyme, you're not just treating Borrelia burgdorferi and getting better. It's not going to happen. Right. It's like, what do you, what do you view on that?
2: Yeah. So here's the weird part is that I rarely ever have to treat Lyme. So I rarely ever have to, because if we, Focus so deeply on the layers beneath that are causing the disruption of the immune system, the bacteria usually can get put into remission on its own. There are times that I have to, don't get me wrong, right? Everybody's so bio individual and it's unique, but true, deep, deep parasite cleansing, true um, getting rid, I mean, truly getting rid of environmental toxins and trauma work. <laughs> That's a huge component that a lot of people don't talk about because it seems so woo woo. Um, And I I was in that camp. But talk
0: Um, to us about that, Laura, because, you know, Dr. Jess has been really talking a lot about, you know, trauma and scars and all kinds of cool stuff lately that i have been fascinated by what role does trauma emotionally and also even physical trauma like scars play in inhibiting your body from, you know, or preventing your body from recovering from illness like Lyme disease or, or chronic illness in general? Have you
2: ever read the book, The Body Keeps Score?
0: Yes. We heard. Yeah. Yes.
2: Yeah. So I strongly believe, and I've seen it. Okay. And I've seen it and I actually measure trauma in people's organs to see where people are storing their trauma. And I will let, I will measure the energy level in their organ. Like, you know, in Chinese medicine, they talk about the chi, which is the energetic flow of your, that organ. And I, I sort of view that as the ability, that organ's ability to detoxify and I will measure the chi and then the associated trauma. And almost always low chi, high trauma. And so I personally believe and have seen it manifest in my practice where someone that has a thyroid problem, unless it's necessary, unless it's connected to something in the mouth, right. Um, which I can also identify. I have found that doing subconscious trauma work is so important for, releasing pathogens from that organ and freeing up that organ to do the job that it needs to do. And a lot of women will start parasite cleansing and they gain all this weight. And it's because their spleen is is storing tons of trauma, hence tons of pathogens, because trauma, in my view, and from the research that I've done, Will actually, because the frequency is so low in that tissue, that it actually makes the tissue acidic, and then the pathogens migrate to the acidic tissue, in the same way that an environmental toxin would do the same thing. So,
0: so Laura, I do want to ask. So, so um, you know, is this one of those things where I you know? And look, we get it. We you know, we understand sometimes science isn't caught up with what we know intuitively. we we've, we've seen this in Chinese medicine from you know forever ago that we're starting to finally be able to identify why Chinese medicine is working in people, but they didn't know back then. They just knew it worked and and this is going to help you get better. Is there some sort of correlation here, like with, with trauma where, you know, in general trauma will, will cause you to be in, in a, you know, more of a state of sympathetic nervous system, which means you can't heal and therefore you're not going to get better. So is, is there, do you believe there's a physiological connection or, you know, a nervous system connection between the trauma which then causes your body not to heal. So meaning like, okay, you know, you had this trauma, it's, it's causing you to be in a weakened state because of your nervous system and your body is harboring, you know, is, is really focusing on, uh, you mentioned your spleen. Your spleen is where the toxins are going. You have to address the trauma so you can get into a healthy nervous system state and therefore you're going to be able to then move on to the next step of your healing. Or is it not that simple in your view?
2: No, I mean, I think it is. I just think everybody's so unique. And I think, you know, there's this entire documentary called in utero about how we're basically getting uh, emotionally and genetically imprinted by our mothers. And so, you know, I think the limbic system work is so important. That absolutely has to be done because if you are in fight or flight and you can't retrain the way your body perceives stress, then you, and you do have to be in parasympathetic in order to detox, right? In order for your body to feel safe enough to let go of stuff, you need to be in parasympathetic. But I think that it's, I'm sure you've heard of like the techniques like mind, body, spirit release and that kind of thing. I think really bridging the gap between subconscious trauma work with techniques like that and emotion code are every bit as important as retraining the limbic system. I don't think the body truly catches up until you address that subconscious piece. And I don't think it truly matches the conscious piece until we spend 95% of our lives in the subconscious, the stuff that happened to us as kids completely rewires has rewired or, or (laughs) wired us a specific way. And we can't always access that stuff. It's actually hard and painful. And you know, it's hard to access without some of these other subconscious tools.
0: And look, chronic Lyme or chronic illness in general is traumatizing. I mean, so even if you don't have childhood trauma, I mean the experience of going through what we've gone through is traumatizing in itself. So I think that we can all benefit from neural retraining, from trauma work, from you know all the above. And that's why we hear all the time, you know, when it comes to neural retraining, we hear about DNRS, we hear about Gupta, we we just it, two yeah. weeks ago so we just interviewed Lindsay Mitchell from, from Vital Side. And yeah. time and time again, we keep hearing from people of how how vital, no pun intended, these things are like Vital Side in, in their healing journey, right? But I, I do want to, because this is something else that I want not forget to ask you this question. You, you, you mentioned several times Th2 dominance is what keeps you sick, right? So from what I understand, the immune system produces two types of T cells, and it's Th1 and Th2. And I think Th1 is what I think is the intracellular, uh, it, it goes after the intracellular pathogens, and Th2 mm-hmm. goes after the extracellular pathogens. And we know that Lyme disease, for example, can be in an extracellular space, but also in intracellular space. So yep. can you just, and correct me if I'm wrong, because again, you, you know better than I do, is this correct? And can you give us some more information about what yeah. is Th1, what is Th2, and why do you believe Th2 dominance is so important in, in people not getting better?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's just such a delicate balance with the immune system, right? As you described, which you did so well, It is like it's a scale, it's literally a scale, and you essentially your body can only make so many of these cells, and you're kind of pulling from the same resource. And when extracellular pathogens become proliferative in the body, um, like parasites, like that's the number one thing that's going to cause someone to be too th2 dominant, um, mold, also, um, when 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 you're exposed to those things and all of the resources are now diverted to the TH2 scale, right? You have nothing left in TH1 to fight viruses, mm. to fight things like Babesia.
0: Which and is why so... you said viruses are root cause because you're not addressing viruses intracellularly and therefore you're not gonna get better. Is this the connection there?
2: Yes, exactly. Okay. I'm
0: sorry to interrupt. No, just, no just... not
2: at all. No, you're- The, you're the light bulb
0: went off of my head. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Yeah. And so that's been my experience um, truly. And so you really have to focus on getting rid of, in my opinion, the big extracellular parasites, um, in order for the immune system have some balance. I I mean, I, I experienced this personally just with cold sores and how after parasite cleansing, I have not had a cold sore in years. And it's because now my body has enough resources to engage the right cells. So the, the right T helper cells, th one, and I have enough resources to combat that viral piece. It's the same, you know, reason that a lot of people with chronic illnesses will get sick all
0: the time. So one of the things I'm, I'm learning so much from you, Lauren, I'm, I'm kind of thinking out loud here. So if you, I yeah. just, I feel like you're ahead of me and I'm trying to, and I'm trying to keep up with you. Right. <laughs> so one of the things that we, I, I rudimentarily understand about the th one and th two is we talk about th1 being intracellular th2 being extracellular right so th1 is going to focus on viruses and and, and bacteria that are inside the cells th2 uh, focuses heavily on parasites i think like like what are they called helminths which is a category a category of of parasites right so if yeah, you have a
1: nematodes.
0: heavy nematodes right so if you have a yeah. heavy load of parasites then your immune system is focusing heavily on th2 response in t cells which is going to be focusing on the parasites and therefore it can never address Lyme, co-infections, Epstein-Barr, et cetera, and those things are gonna go off the charts and get you really sick. But, I, and I think when you said, you know, you can, sometimes you don't, you, in some cases, you don't have to treat Lyme. If you address things like parasites and mold, you can balance out your T-cell response. And if you can get your Th1 T-cells T generating in a higher quantity, then maybe your immune system can manage the Lyme on its own. I think is what you argued earlier. Is that correct? I'm just trying to keep keep up. I mean, that's the
2: secret sauce. I mean, it really is. It's, I mean, because that's what you want. You don't want to have to take a killer for the rest of your life to keep this certain pathogen down. You need to have a harmonious immune system that's functioning the way God designed it. Right. And you know, that's why I really try to focus on, like I said, the root, if someone is having really bad headaches and I know it's from Bartonella or really bad ringing in the ears that I know is from like the BCR or something. I do microdose a lot with them and I'll microdose like a lot of the cell core tinctures. Um but I I do that alongside of working on the real what I believe is causing the real immune dysfunction that's causing the Lyme to go nuts and and have, you know, cause these symptoms. And so making sure the environment's clean and that we're getting rid of all the you know parasites in the body is integral. It's like, it, it cannot, it's a step that cannot be passed over in healing Lyme disease, in my opinion, because of everything that you just said and articulated so much better than I did.
0: No, I'm, I'm learning from you. I'm trying to rephrase what you're saying so I can keep up with everything you're teaching us here. But, you know, I do want to ask a, a hard question because, and again, this is, feel free to disagree. This is okay sure. if you don't see eye to eye here. You know, we interviewed Dr. Al McDonald and who talked to us about you know, he's done extensive research on parasites, especially nematodes in the brain and harboring, you know, parasites can hold Lyme inside of them. Parasites can work, you know, together with Lyme and other things to to cause dementia and Alzheimer's. So it blew our minds, again, no pun intended, to see how bad parasites can be in combination with Lyme and other co-infections. But what really makes me concerned sometimes is when I see people in the community and there's fads, right? And, you know, and I think sometimes I fall into this with tick mood is it's never, when I say Lyme disease, I refer to the whole soup of things that, that are keeping you sick, but people get stuck on this parasite fad. And when they, and I feel like, I think it's a mistake to just focus on treating parasites in general, oh. specifically one type of parasite, whether it be a GI parasite, or, you know, what I have parasites in my brain and I'm going to go after the parasites in my brain. And I'm going to feel better. And it always makes me anxious. Cause I'm like, yeah, that's, that's a piece of the puzzle probably oh. for you. But, you know, I just want to clarify when you said earlier, you may not have to treat the Lyme. You can just address the parasites. Are you, are you arguing that for some people, all they have to do is just treat a particular type of parasite and they're going to get better because that makes me anxious. Cause I feel like that could yeah. be, that could be harmful to some people, many people that have a lot, a lot of other things that need to be addressed as well, if that makes sense.
2: No, I mean, I think viruses are at play here. I think, um, environmental toxins. Well, first of all, we don't really get parasites in our body unless we have, you know, environmental toxins. So, no, I mean, parasite cleansing is just a step that cannot be, be missed because I often see, and I often see people focusing on the wrong parasites and they don't know what parasites they have in their body. Like they might be focusing on these huge rope worms and they see all these things coming out, but they're not addressing the strongyloides that are Really detrimental to your immune system, and and really will trigger that Th2 response and cause a lot of eczema and all of these other things. And so there are so many different types of parasites, and I would never pigeonhole someone to just parasite cleansing. I think it's way more bio individual than that. But I think the general concept of how you bring the immune system back into balance, even though that looks a little bit different for everybody, is the premise that I operate off of, and that has proven successful. So. And I also don't think parasite cleansing is a one and done thing. And it certainly takes time and you have to really remove the food. Like you have to remove their food too. So sometimes. Well, that doesn't what, even... what is the food? What, what yeah. feeds parasites? So I believe that they come because of environmental toxins, but they also love bacteria and viruses and they will just eat up all these bacteria and viruses too. And when
0: you say environmental toxins, you mean things like mold? Is that what you mean?
2: So I, I mean things like mold, heavy, heavy metals, radioactive yeah. elements, uh, industrial solvents.
0: So that brings them into your body, essentially. So those are the things that make your body a welcoming environment for parasites. But then they stay because they feed on other viruses and bacteria in your body. And that's how they thrive once they're in your body.
2: Yeah, that's exactly. That's exactly. How, do you,
0: how do you get parasites? So you mentioned what makes your body hospitable place to them, which are all these, you know, environmental factors, what makes them stay there, which are viruses and bacteria. How do you get a parasite in your body? Are you born with them? Do you get them from eating food? You get them, you know, here things that, you know, you can walk in soil barefoot and pick up a parasite. You can get it from eating certain types of foods. You know, where do you think we pick up parasites as human beings?
2: Yeah. And it's funny because I hate, I I am like anti-fear culture. So I'm like, eat the sushi. Like it's going to be fine. But I really think that I can tell you for with absolute certainty that I pass parasites on to my second son. Um, And so I do think a lot of that, just like Lyme, you know, it gets transmuted in, in utero, but I also think that animals are a big way, but I mean, are we just not going to have animals? You know, I mean, it can really be pretty much anywhere, any, anything, you know, and it it can be going and eating sushi, but sushi's good. (laughs) And so the, the real issue here again, is if you have a strong immune system, you're going to pass the parasite on its own without having to take anything. And so it really does go back to just, and it sounds oversimplified at times, but I really, I think, I think that, you know, again, we're kind of a culture that's like addicted to knowledge and which is great. There's so, and with the, you know, with social media, there's so much out there, but I really have to remind myself not to try to get sidetracked sometimes into these like wormholes, so to speak, because I really believe that it comes back to just making our body the way God designed it. And that just means getting all the stuff that shouldn't having a fundamental understanding of how the immune system works and then peeling back the layers to get the things out that shouldn't be in there.
0: So it all comes to the immune system. It all comes down to the immune system was designed to protect you. And if you can remove the things that are preventing it from doing what God designed it to do, you can get health again. And that's consistent with what many of these more, um, I don't want to say mainstream, but many of these, these leading Lyme doctors like Dr. Harvard, Dr. Cameron, Dr. Yeah. Rolls, they all believe the same thing. Your immune system is the key here. So, you know, everything you're saying is very in line with what others yeah. in the community are sharing. Except You're giving us deeper level of detail as to why you believe this is right. But I have to ask you a question because a lot of things are coming to my mind here. You, you know, you mentioned parasites. Do you think somebody can be suffering from chronic Lyme have, you know, a persistent Lyme infection that wasn't addressed with antibiotics when they, when they first got treated, you know, from their Western doctor, do you think it's possible that that individual or any, any individual can be suffering from persistent Lyme and not be having a difficult time with parasites? Or do you think that they're always going to be, you know, coming together? We're 100% of the people it's mutually exclusive. If you have chronic Lyme, you're going to have parasites too. Or do you think that there's a subset where you can be dealing with persistent Lyme possibly because you're, you're exposed to chronic mold and you don't know it, your immune system is suppressed and therefore you have persistent Borrelia with Bartonella and Babesia and maybe parasites aren't as much of a factor for you in that, in that subset of the, the category of chronic Lyme patients.
2: Yes. And the other thing that I'm super passionate about is the mouth and, um, how, uh, our teeth are circuit breakers and, I think that's another thing that's just so wildly overlooked. So in addition, so yes, no, I don't think everyone's going to have some massive parasitic infection. I I do, it's almost, I almost never see them. I I almost never see someone without any parasites and Lyme. It's really rare. Um, But I will say that there are other things that can be just as taxing on the immune system, if not more taxing, like a dental infection, like a dental abscess or you know, a root canal that's infected, or, I mean, I've had, I've had so many clients with cavitations that are so, so taxing on the immune system, um, because you have these holes that are literally festering with strep and staph and, oh, just, I mean, the, the L- or L- What is a
0: cavitation? I'm Sorry to interrupt again, but what just for our listeners is, it, is from yeah. what I understand a cavitation is when you have your wisdom teeth removed, you have those, those cavities where those teeth were. And then that's basically a breeding ground for a ton of bad things. Is that what it is in general? Or, or am I mistaken with that?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So it, that's exactly what happens. And, and basically the hole is supposed to close, but it almost never closes. I mean, unless it's done right by a biological dentist the first time and it, will, I will see it cause such an um, intense immune suppression. And I will see it's not only suppressing the immune system, but the bacteria in and of itself is, has its own host of side effects. So it's causing lots of brain fog, lots of immune suppression. And I will pick up on this all the time with muscle testing. And then it goes and gets confirmed by the biological dentist and the biological dentist. is really
0: cool. I'm sorry, yeah. said, I'm geeking out over that with you because it's so cool that you can you can identify those things. But I, I as a question of that, I, I, I keep interrupting. It's really there's so many good oh, stuff things good. you're talking about here. So you know you're you're talking about this this testing right, and and so muscle testing is something that even people in the Lyme community that are that are you know listening to this podcast that are really active in the chronic Lyme community are hesitant and may not believe in muscle testing, right? So we talked about the barrier of entry for you to accept bioresidence. You know how do you get your how do you get patients clients etc to cross that barrier of entry to start doing muscle testing? You know I feel like it's a hard as a steep learning curve. It's, it's taken me over two years to to be open to these types of things because growing up the way I did, being taught that you know traditional doctors have the answer to everything, it was really hard for me to break that mentality to be open minded to these these really alternative medicine types of of diagnoses testing and treatment. So. How do you deal with that in your, in your practice to get people to to come and benefit from you when it's, it's such a hard thing to accept coming from, especially America, where it's not, it's not commonly known about, you know?
2: Yeah, I know. And we try to do a lot of education or at least expose people to it through social media. But one thing I have found is that this is not something you can ever sell somebody on. I mean, it will go south so fast because people just will intrinsically like develop their own expectation around what you're telling them. And it won't align necessarily with what I'm picking up. Um, You know? And so I have found that the people that come to me know and understand for the most part, what it is. And they're so intrigued by it. And they're at a point in their journey where a lot of the times this is like, this is their hail Mary. And so I think that you just become so open to these modalities as you, you know, as I'm sure you've <laughs> tried them all too. Right. I mean, years and years and years of feeling terrible, you will do literally anything. And, you know, it does seem a little woo at first. And you're kind of like, well, is that, is that real? Is that, you know, and I've just become such an like a fervent believer in it because time and time again, like I said, I will pick up on these trends and then I go to PubMed and it's sure enough, it, it it will, there will be some study kind of detailing what I'm seeing unfold in my practice. And so I don't, I wish I had a better answer for you for that because, but the reality of it is, I just think God brings me the right people and the people that are sort of ready to do, you know, they're already I have done the research and they know what it is. I rarely am getting anyone that doesn't know what muscle testing is.
0: So Laura, I know I digress significantly there for this, this portion, but I do want to circle back to your journey, right? Because you addressed the mold and yeah. you mentioned it was about eight months cause you still had to deal with parasites. You still had to deal with Lyme and, and other things. So I know enough, from our offline chat and your pre-interview questionnaire that you used something called a parasite zapper. You used uh cell core has these IS tinctures that are for, for Bartonella and Babesia mm-hmm. and Borelia. So talk to me about the role that, you know, what you did once you got out of the moldy environment, specifically to address parasites and also these IF tinctures from CellCore.
2: Yes. So I do use a lot of core products. Um, and, but again, like I said, other pieces and things that I wish I'd brought in sooner are sub, some of the subconscious trauma work because I've had some of my harshest detoxes from that. Um, you know, the trauma almost sort of like releases the hounds, if you will, and the trauma work, but when I got out of mold, I really focused on. You know, I don't use or recommend biohacks in a treatment.
0: What's mode. a biohack, Laura? Just for our listeners. Yeah.
2: So sorry, I forget. I know all these terms <laughs> that we we throw these terms around, um, but not everybody knows what they are. So a biohack would be a way to I, I would say support your drainage organs, like your liver and your kidneys, while you're trying to expel pathogens. And that's how I utilize them. I utilize them in that manner. I don't utilize them as a sole treatment or a save all. It's more, I'm not feeling well. I'm not processing this detox properly. You know, I can tell things are kind of stagnated or trapped. And so I focused heavily on binders, um, bile because bile is you have to have bile to export toxins out, and bile gets very thick and sludgy and mold. I ended up having a gallbladder
0: attack from trying to detox too fast. Um, and so, 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 Laura, binders just, just again, to, I'm just going to always sit, you know, to try to boil it down. Yeah, binders are something that that you take that will essentially mop up all of these toxins, whether it's die off of viruses, die off of bacteria, die off of parasites or, or, parasites in general. And it, it, it sort of like, is like a, a glue that, that pulls all these toxins out of it. And then, and then helps you excrete them from your body. Correct. That's what a binder is.
2: That, that's exactly right. And there's specific okay. binders for specific things, right? Like, so.
0: Right. Can, you, um, can you give us some examples on that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So for instance, people will take sometimes, um, uh, clay binders for potential mold exposure, different types of mold. And I will muscle test which binders people need based off of which. And usually, the muscle testing will direct me, <laughs> excuse me, based off of the type of mold they have. Um, and so honestly, some of my go-tos are, are really cell care products. Um, I don't really bring, um, carboxy in until later, but biotoxin binders are great, great entryway binder, in my opinion, that will mop up bacteria byproduct and mold and even some plastics. Um, and so I, really love that binder. And I think it's really universal and it has some other things in there too to promote, um, you know, opening of certain pathways. And I'm not going to get into all the technical stuff and it's not just drainage pathways, but certain things that get shut down in mold. And so I really like that binder and it basically goes into your body and attaches to the mold and then you excrete it out in your bowels. Um, and then with, if you're, if you're going after environmental toxins, a lot of times those are going to come out in your urine, Um, but there's this whole separate set of binders and things that you would want to take for maybe viral matter or radiation, chemicals, heavy metals, radioactive elements, that kind of thing.
0: And binders can be pharmaceuticals. They can be things like chlorella. They can be things like, like, um, you know, a wide variety. So you mentioned clay, right? So there's a a wide variety of things that we can use to, to bind different substances out of our body. In fact, I think there's two different classes of binders, right? Isn't there a Systemic binder versus like a GI binder ones ones that get into your bloodstream to remove toxins from your bloodstream versus ones that get into your GI tract to remove toxins from your GI system, right?
2: Yep, yep. And so it just Mm -hmm. depends. I mean, I would say, you know, carboxy is one that we know crosses the blood brain barrier. But and I will say, I think biotoxin does a little bit of that because it is getting mold in other places in your body, not just in your GI tract. But there are specific binders that are designed just for the GI tract also yeah
0: and I think in a nutshell because this is so complex and there are so many different types of binders that address different things it's best to work with a practitioner like yourself Laura to figure out what you need uh, you know assistance with to detox out of your body to identify I need help to remove these toxins and therefore I should use this binder to help my body because it is so individualized is that not something that you can probably do on your own I'm thinking Laura right
2: Yeah. I mean, it's hard. I mean, I know there are certain like companies that have these self-directed programs and I think you can probably get to a certain level, but if you are stuck, you probably need more specificity in, you know, what you're using and how you're using it because, and to your point, you, you do have to be really careful, especially you need to know what's going on in the body. If the drainage pathways are open, is someone eliminating you, you, because you can, you can really overdo it quickly and you can dump all these toxins into the bile and then you can cause a gallbladder attack, or you just, you really need to have a general picture of what's going on with the body before you just start throwing binders in it. Um, and so, I mean, if you start super, super slow and you're very in tune with your body, I'm sure you could make a lot of progress, but I do think personally, and this isn't a plug for me, but that working with a practitioner, you're going to, is going to be more bang for your buck. You're going to waste less money because the the supplement approach is going to be much more targeted, especially with muscle testing that knows these are the priorities for this person's body right now.
0: I think I have the answer to the question I asked you earlier about how do you convince people that something like muscle testing can be helpful or this type of alternative medicine. And I think it's, it's somebody listening to this podcast and hearing how educated and, and detail oriented you are and not, even Rich and I can't get into the level you are to be able to treat. And we've interviewed 260 something people on this podcast, right? So it's evident that you have all this experience that can help people shortcut their healing journey by knowing specifically what to do and and taking that trial and error period and significantly d- decreasing that time frame of trial and error in the healing journey, right? And that's that's what I see you as. And it is okay to give yourself a plug because you can't. You you know. We want to help people feel better and you can shortcut people's healing journey. So please feel free to promote your services. I mean, that's you are a practitioner that can help people, and and you know, we, we encourage you to talk about how you can do that, right? So I do wanna now I do want to because you did mention you know this this whole liver piece with bile, right? So let's break that down a little bit more and, and I want to I want to understand that better. So when toxins get pulled out of your body, whether it's from your bloodstream, whether it's from you know, from your extracellular space or an intracellular toxin, wherever it may be it eventually comes downstream into your liver. And then from your liver, it goes into your, into your, I think your GI system, or then you excrete it from your, either through, through, um, uh, yeah. you know, th- through urine or, or feces, right? But mm-hmm. in your liver, you need to have bile to transfer the toxin from your liver to your GI system. Is that correct? Is that what the role of, of bile is in the liver? Yeah, we
2: create, we have all these ducts, right? We have bile ducts in our liver. And I'm not going to get into all the different phases of liver detox, but what happens is mold will clog those bile ducts or it will, or parasites will clog the bile ducts. It's a big, very big, you know, that's a very big reason that um, bile becomes stagnant. So, you know, again, we've been told to take probiotics forever, right? With constipation, but what's really happening is it's starting in the liver. It is your constipation is starting in the liver. Um, And so you need to clear those things out of those bile ducts in order to effectively produce bile and the bile is going to go into the gallbladder and drop when you eat fatty things, when you need bile. And so (laughs) with mold or parasites, because they can both be in the gallbladder, you can get very, very thick, especially with mold, sludgy bile, and you really need to have an abundance of bile, especially if your whole body is toxic. Think about it. You are probably recycling bile, 15 to 20 times because you're not be able to make enough to the point that each time you're picking up new toxins and dropping it into the bells, picking up new toxins and dropping it into the bowels. Instead, your body's using what it can and what it has, which is taking the bile that it has. that's already toxic with mold and all these other, you know, this bacteria in it and it's recycling it. So taking things like Tudka to, which is a, will, um, enhance bile production, uh, making sure you're supporting your liver and your kidneys. So taking something like a KL support or milk, milk, thistle supplement, you know, to make sure that the liver is functioning properly and, you know, getting parasites out of the liver is going to be critical to you being able to freely produce the amount of bile that you need to get the, uh, you know, the toxins out. And that's where also coffee enemas are so good. Coffee enemas can increase bile production significantly it causes the liver to spasm and dump toxins. And so again, all that stuff should be worked through with a practitioner because there are binders and things that need to be taken when you do coffee enemas. But bile is so critical to being able to detox. And you can tell someone's toxic if they're constipated. I mean, if they're constipated, you know they're toxic.
0: So Um, if, if if you're having trouble going to the bathroom, then most likely you think that the, there, that person probably has an issue with bile production and that needs to be looked at, and you don't want to kill off pathogens or viruses, et cetera, or even mold, because then you create these, you know, then you have all these toxins in your body that aren't being purged and you're going to have, you're going to have more toxins circulating in your body, making you feel sicker. Is that, is that a high level accurate statement?
2: Absolutely. And that's when people experience, have these bad experiences with holistic naturopathic medicine, because they go, start going backwards. I'm of the camp of, I don't even care if you have to take a literal laxative, you, we just have to get you going to the bathroom. Like, I don't care if it's smooth moves, tea, whatever you have to do, going to the bathroom is like literally step one. We have to get that pathway sort of open, um, before we can start killing anything off. And a lot of times, I mean, I've had people's livers just be so insanely overburdened with parasites, And that's kind of where I would, you know, bring in something like a parasite zapper Um, because herbs are very systemic. And so putting an herb in the body, you you really you don't have any control after you take that pill. And I mean, I don't in the same way that with a pharmaceutical. And so that's why I, you know, I really like with muscle testing that I can zone in on exactly what's going on in people's bodies. And I know, okay, well, this person has a very, very overburdened liver from parasites. They're going to have an extreme reaction if I put them on a parasite cleansing pill right now. Um, And I want to avoid that. So what's the most gentle thing that I can do to start getting that pathway open to be able to detox the other
0: things? And that's the parasite zapper? Is that what you're referring to? Yeah,
2: I love the parasite zapper. So you're probably familiar with a rife. Yes. Um, and parasite zapper is a lot cheaper and it's more broad spectrum. Um, in, in, I believe that it kind of pulls the pathogens out so that your body's own natural defenses will do what it needs to, needs to be done, but it (laughs) works on viruses, bacteria, and parasites. And it kind of just knows in the body what to target. And it is just so gentle compared to it releases the same kilohertz the entire the entire time so you're not having to adjust it like a rife either it's very easy to use someone puts it on for an hour and if if the, if i've gotten the problem right then they start passing usually liver flukes pretty soon after
0: so i think i misunderstood so i i i thought the parasite zapper was just going to be killing parasites in your liver to allow your liver to function better and then for to allow allow bile to be flowing more fluidly in your body. But it sounds like the parasite zapper is very similar to a Rife machine, except it's easier to use and it's killing parasites, bacteria, and viruses in your liver. And that's helping you not only get rid of the parasites, but addressing other things that are keeping you sick, other pathogens too. Is that correct,
2: Laura? hundred percent. It's a great, again, we can't bypass that whole balancing the immune piece, but it can really help people with symptoms in the meantime also which is why I love it. Um, because it will bring your lime load down. It's it's systemic. It's not just for the liver. I like it a lot for people that need a gentle way to clear the liver, because like I said, uh, herbs are too systemic. And if you've got a proliferation of parasites that and, and bacteria, you know, the herbs, I just can't control them. And it just goes after too many things at one time. And it can cause this massive reaction. And with the zapper, it doesn't get anything in the GI tract. So it's, it's focused. It's primarily on your blood and your liver.
0: When you say herbs are too systemic, do you mean that herbs are, are broad spectrum and they're killing off a ton of bad things like Lyme and co-infections? And if your liver isn't functioning properly, then these toxins are going to get stuck in your liver and you're going to get sicker. So you need to find a way that's not going to be as broad spectrum to address the liver to get things moving with bile before you can do something like herbs to be more systemic, to kill off the other stuff that's throughout the rest of your body. Is that what you mean?
2: that's exactly right so okay. I will take a more targeted approach to the liver that I using something like a parasite zapper instead of herbs to get to really focus on freeing up space in the liver to create the bile and just to detoxify I mean we need the liver to detoxify I mean we you know with without the bile like it has so many different functions right and so so doing something like a zapper and then getting them to a point of again a great bile enhancer which Beet juice is incredible. Um, So doing things like that, or, you know, if I think they're ready, that their numbers are low enough that they can do a coffee enema, then I'll have them start bringing that kind of thing in and just really focusing on that piece first, because I'm very low and slow. Let's not, you know, there's no reason anyone needs to suffer throughout the process.
0: So this has been a huge myth busting podcast for me, because I've seen some really bad information out there regarding parasites that you have cleared up for me and it makes so much more sense now, to be honest, you know, Rich and I are not parasite experts. And I think that, you know, I've been seeing a lot of things that make me kind of raise an eyebrow, but you've helped us put this picture together that, that makes sense now. Right. So I think this is, this has been a really powerful and informative and educational interview here, but I do want to pivot back to your journey again. I keep getting derailed because you are a really? practitioner and you help so many people and you're giving us such great information to clear up these things that we've, we've heard and give us, you know, accurate information about parasites and more. So, for you, you once you address the mold, you had the remediation, you started addressing parasites using things, I'm guessing cell core products, power one, two, three, four, yeah. right? Those are all parasite, those are all parasite supplements through Cellcore essentially, right? Yep. Yeah. And then you did things like the parasite zapper and you did some cell core IS tinctures. And those IS tinctures, I think it's like IS BAB for Babesia, IS BART for Bartonella, IS Bore, I think Bore for Borrelia. And collectively, all of these things between the mold remediation. The parasites app or uh, the power, the all the para products from cell core and all of the IS products from cell core to address the the pathogens collectively that's what got you to where you are today. Is that correct? At a high that's level that's correct.
2: And I mean, I have to plug the trauma piece because that I keep
0: forgetting true. trauma. I'm sorry. I don't yeah. know why I keep forgetting <laughs> trauma.
2: <laughs> it's okay, but I mean, it's you know, things come in layers and for me, you know, and I will tell you, I mean, the mouth address making sure you don't have anything going on in your mouth is so critical. If you are somebody that's waxing and waning severely in your healing journey, the mouth has to be looked at. Airway also, I mean, are what's your oxygen saturation like at night? Do you have sleep apnea? Are you snoring? I mean, if they're actually starting to show that airway restriction is worse than sleep apnea because at least with sleep apnea, um you your oxygen saturation levels are high and then they stop but then they come back online when your airway is restricted, you know, you have chronically low oxygen saturation levels all night. I mean, if you're not getting oxygen to your cells, how are you going to heal? And so that's, again, the mouth is usually a piece that we address at the end. We need to get someone more stable. And it's obviously, it's a a pretty um, financially intensive Journey, right. The mouth it's expensive work, but I mean, I have had just crazy significant improvements from addressing my mouth, you know, through an abscess that, um, was, I didn't even have a root canal. It was just a regular tooth and I had no local symptoms. They were all systemic. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. It was just crazy. So through that and trauma, yes. I mean, and I, and I have to plug those things because I really feel like every single one of those things is important to balancing the immune system.
0: So I have one final question. Rich is gonna to talk to you some more and he's gonna talk specifically about how people can contact you, work with you and give all that information again. But POTS is a really common byproduct of chronic Lyme disease and it can be debilitating on its own, right? And people make progress in healing from Lyme, but then they have persistent POTS related symptoms. So you mentioned salt and herbs helped you but if you can give us some more specific tips and tricks that you've used to address POTS that you know even with your some of your clients where you're making progress in their healing journey but their pot symptoms are still wacky and how you treat those people because I know a lot of people listening are struggling with POTS and sometimes it doesn't go hand in hand and sometimes it does right when you address Lyme and these other things the POTS will subside but we've heard from people that will persist beyond these other things as well. So if you can give us some, some of your thoughts on that and how people can address pots specifically, if they're not seeing the success with treating pots that they want with all these other things that we've talked about already.
2: Yeah. I mean, I really, for me believe that it came back and I see this a lot in my clients. Um, I believe getting parasite and viral load down, like really down is critical to being able to have those systems function properly again, because I always had low aldosterone. I had all the things, right. And it truly wasn't until I, I believe also viruses just burden the nervous system and the limbic system so severely that it's just really hard for your body to regulate that process, you know, and you need to get parasites out of the kidneys. The kidneys are integral in all the hormones that need to be produced in order for you to not have those pot symptoms and the adrenals, you know, and I know there's a lot of debate about what the adrenals are and aren't, and is it. Mitochondria, or is it the adrenals? And, you know, I know all of that, but I still think it's really important to address the adrenals. And so I really just took a holistic approach with that. And, you know, I don't have to take salt at all anymore. I don't do anything, but for me, it really was getting that viral load down, making sure I focused on my kidneys and got all the pathogens out of my kidneys as well and my liver. So That's kind of how I managed it. And while I was sick, I did take high doses of minerals and salt to, you know, to sustain energy levels and to not, you know, have that air hunger be so bad from the pots. Um, And they make salt capsules, you know, if you don't really want to mix it, but taking an electrolyte drink, like a lime and a teaspoon of salt in some warm water, I think is really beneficial to people. And you know the lime could bust up some biofilms in the process, so you know it's kind of like a double-edged thing. But I think those are just some pretty easy tips that people can do. But again, I, I think viruses are a big piece too to pots that get kind of overlooked.
1: So Laura, let's um, let's reflect for another minute before we talk about your journey of transformation. Um, if you were to have a conversation with the eighteen-year-old self. Uh, and when you were beginning to go through your, uh, your journey, um, what would you recommend to her that she would do differently than you did? Meaning what order would you do things in now that you have the benefit of the, um, retrospect that you have
2: a subconscious trauma work, hands down, I would go and do subconscious trauma work. Um, I feel like a lot of the places that I got stuck in detox were because of trauma that I had stored in my body and in the fascia and in the organs. And, you know, it's the, everything's trying to detox through and it's getting log jammed. And I would have sort of cleared, paved the way if, if I could go back and, and it is, you know, it's not even something that I do. So I currently have to refer out to it, which <laughs> I, I don't like, love to have to do that, but it's, it's so important to me. And I, I see the value be, it's so significant. And I think it would have definitely impacted my healing journey. It would have shortened so that,
1: that's what you do first. Yep. Okay. Yep. And, and then after, after the trauma work is done and the mindset piece, I guess, is established, what are you going to do after that?
2: I wouldn't have focused as much on the food aspect of it. Honestly, I would have kind of bypassed that little stint or long stint. And I would have done parasite cleansing next
1: okay and then after parasite cleansing then what
2: environmental toxins yep and sometimes that you know that that's a hard one because it sometimes needs to be done sort of in tandem like if you are being exposed to mold i feel like you know it's not always as linear but you know focusing on sort of parasites and then environmental toxins for
1: sure okay and then and then where are you going from there
2: and then i'm probably looking at viruses and then potentially radiation and any leftover chemicals, industrial solvents, um, things like that. And then I'm then I'm kind of circling back to what's going on in the organs, again, and make sure that there's nothing that we've missed.
1: And you think at that point your your uh, immune system is healthy again, and your immune system should be able to control the um, you know the the soup. Of, um, of viruses, bacteria, and protozoa that's in your in your system.
2: As long as you've ruled out everything in the mouth, yes.
1: Okay, so then you, then, then then it's the cavitation and yep. uh, cavitation is not cavities, right? That's that's different.
2: Right, cavities are when you get an infection in the dentin in your actual tooth. So a, a <clears throat> cavitation is essentially where you've had, it could be a hole in your jaw that manifested somehow, or it could be, it's essentially a term for hole, like, and it's, you've gotten your wisdom teeth taken out and you have a, a hole there that didn't close up and it's got bacteria and infection in it.
1: let not, let's pivot over to your, your uh, journey of transformation. Yeah. Um, yeah. How has this journey been transformational for you? Meaning, well, you were working on all the things you were working on and you were trying to regain your health what was all of that doing to you and what were you learning about yourself?
2: Yeah, it's so interesting because this has been a radical, it's been the biggest blessing of my life, hands down. It's, it showed me what God put me on this earth to do. It has strengthened my faith in ways that I just are, where I did not think um, it, that it could truly. And I, you know, so it, it, it restored my faith in, in God. And there has been so much trial and tribulation, but there has been so much good on the other side of it. And it gave me my life purpose. It truly gave me my life purpose. I took my biggest pain and I made it into a purpose where I could help people. And I think that's available to more people than they actually think. And Being able to take that perspective on it, you know, that this was my journey for a reason and that it wasn't meant to be easy. And, you know, to this day, I'm still learning. I'm never going to stop learning. I don't know it all. And I know that because I'm constantly being shown things and taught things. And it's beautiful. And I still have some of my own things, you know, and I believe it's designed that way so that I can continue to help people. I mean, the knowledge is just going to keep coming. And as long as we seek it. Um, And so for me, it's been the biggest blessing of my life.
1: Okay. So let's talk about your, your faith in general um, Mm -hmm. and your faith in yourself, because you shared with us during the course of your, Uh, transition from a high school student to a college student, you essentially lost faith in in yourself. How did how did um, you regain faith in you? And what role did that play in you finding faith generally, both in, um, in God and God's uh, creation in you and the purpose that he had given you when he created you?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's wild, because I really feel like my healing journey didn't really take off trajectory wise until I reestablished my relationship with God. And I, you know, I didn't really grow up in a household that like revered God. And it was just, we church was something you just kind of did and you check the box off. And so I didn't really have that in those, form, those more formative years when I was struggling with my self-confidence so deeply. And, you know, I always, I always had a good foundation from my family in terms of not really buying into what other people think. And so I think, you know, in some ways God was really trying to call me home. I, maybe, maybe I didn't recognize it in that the the books and the people he was bringing into my life, you know, at the time was really how I started to restore my faith. So I started reading some mindfulness books. I started learning to be in the present. I really focused on having a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset and I just started consuming and, you know, it felt sort of synchronous, but I didn't really understand that it was God. And it wasn't until probably five years ago that I just really started to understand that this was all God moving in my life. And he put me on an earth on the earth for such a time as this. And, you know, when I quit my job, it's because I knew without a shadow of a doubt that, this is the path god wanted me to take i didn't know what it was going to look like but i just had the faith that it would it would unfold how he wanted it to and that whole process of surrender and knowing that you're not in control i think is so critical to anyone in a healing journey because this thing is like it does not lin- look linear at all i mean it's all over the map and so you're going to have hard days and knowing that it's all his perfect plan is there's just so much peace and serenity in that.
1: And you were getting sicker and sicker when you were doing something that you were not built to do, right? When you were working in the finance world, you're working in the sales world, you kept getting sicker.
2: Yep. That's exactly right. And that's because it, it
1: wasn't you, you were pursuing something that was not consistent with your purpose.
2: A hundred percent. It was out of alignment with his plans for me. And he was, trying to show me that. And I was adamant that I was right. And that, you know, I was going to do the earthly thing and grind it out and work harder. And, you know, I just, it finally hit me that like, you know, it's been such a struggle for me because I'm not supposed to do this. This isn't supposed to be hard. This is supposed to be effortless. Like when you're in alignment with what God has intended for you on this earth, I really feel like it's not to say that we don't have challenges and that the enemy doesn't try to bring us down. I mean, I've totally experienced that when I've been close to breakthroughs, but I think that it's, you know, there's a lot more the, the nature of it is more effortless.
1: So now we bring you to the last question that we ask all of our guests on the Boot Camp Podcast. And uh, I have to apologize in advance, but uh, you are a mom. So I know this will be the most <laughs> challenging person or people. You have two little beautiful uh, children that got us sent to you. And uh, talk to us, rather than me asking about what you would do if one of them or both of them were bitten by ticks, talk to us about what you do to keep them safe from ticks and tick diseases. So
2: the number one thing, and I think I've sort of driven this home today is keep their immune system bolstered. And so I don't want to get to that point of having to scramble. And I think that's the same reason that two people can go on a hike and one can get bit by a tick and get extremely sick while the other doesn't. And it really has to do with the burden on the immune system. So it's hard with kids, right? Because well, I'm eight months pregnant. You can't tell.
1: Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you.
2: I have two boys and um, a little girl on the way. So, um, you know, I really just focus on trying to do things that will bolster their immune system holistically, things like cod liver oil. And I think a lot of our illness starts with, you know, a lack of nutrients. And it's not necessarily easy to really go hard and detox kids. Um, they're emotional. You know, I have found a lot of success with homeopathics, um, with kids. So utilizing homeopathics just to make sure their terrain is clean. And I will mix up some binders sometimes with honey and maybe some elderberry syrup. And I give that to them to make sure, you know, that's what we did when we were detoxing the mold. So just making sure I double check their terrain every now and then, and make sure that, you know, nothing crazy is going on. Um, and and so that's kind of like my prevention technique especially for little kids is
1: are you are you doing anything differently in what um th- than most parents are doing with uh, limiting their exposure to plastic for example limiting their exposure to emfs so or are, are you doing anything that you think is different in your house than most of the other parents who are parenting in your circle
2: Honestly, no. (laughs) And that's because I only, I don't think that microplastics are an issue. I will tell you what I do really think is a huge issue for us is our water source. And I do, we do drink distilled water in this house. I think most of the toxins and VOCs and things that we're exposed to plastics are coming in through our water. So we do drink distilled water and I make that a focus for us, but I don't focus on the microplastics because I have seen way more heavy metal toxicity from in kids that have come in through the water than anything else. Um, so I don't, I, I really try, you know, there are lifestyle choices that we have to make and sometimes over-focusing on all those little things, especially as a mom and someone that's busy and an entrepreneur will just drive you to your absolute grave, freaking out about, whether my son's drinking out of a plastic straw or, you know, his like, you know, I just don't, we try to do the best that we can. And then we kind of go from there. We don't eat tons of gluten, but they're going to have pizza tonight and I'm going to be totally fine with it. You know, we're just, we just try to live, you know, in moderation, so to speak, and just really focus on having a clean environment For kids and clean water. I mean, I've had people detox like crazy just from switching over to distilled water for you know months at a time.
1: Well, Perry, I really appreciate, and Matt, uh, and uh, on behalf of our entire community, really appreciate the brain dump you did today. This was really, really powerful, and I have to tell you, I really enjoyed, in particular, uh, not that I didn't enjoy my portion of the conversation, but I really enjoyed uh, you know the exchange between you and Matt. It was absolutely brilliant, and I know the folks. Uh, who are listening to this are are really going to going to uh, want to extend their appreciation to you. So, can you talk to us about how folks can work with you? Meaning, how do they get in touch with you, and 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 what are the different uh, services that you're offering to the community?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to say thank you all for doing this advocacy work. Um, it's so needed in this space, and you you all are an just, I'm so grateful that you're, you know, having so many different resources on to spread this knowledge. It's so needed. And I think, you know, it's, you're really just doing God's work and I think it's awesome. And so thank you for having me. It's really, truly been a delight and I'm glad that I was able to be here. And as far as working with me, Getting in touch with us over social media at laura.j.perry on Instagram is probably the best way, or um, there's a bunch of stuff in my link tree right now. I'm really only taking new clients through course that I developed called revealing healing, where I teach people how to muscle test. And then there's a limited option. So that, that would be, if you wanted to work with me one-on-one and then I have another option that's just more geared towards muscle muscle testing. It's just, if someone wants to learn how to muscle test and they don't want to work one-on-one with me, that's an option too. And a lot of practitioners actually come through the muscle testing piece just because the content is the same. You need to know the same things. And I think it's very empowering for people to come through, you know, even if they're going to do the one-on-one work, because understanding the bigger picture and all the things that we've sort of talked about today, I can't always fit all of this in, in a, you know, a one session with somebody. And I just think the people are, they're just so well-equipped to sort of ride the waves of detox. They're, you know, they're just, they have all the information they need to be their own best healer too. And that's really what I'm promoting. You know, I don't want people I don't want people to have to be stuck and attached to a practitioner for the rest of their lives. I want them to be, have the tools to do this
0: themselves. Thank you for listening to our tick bootcamp interview with our guest, Laura Perry. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Laura or work with her as a practitioner, please visit her on Instagram at laura.j.perry or visit her website at laurajperry.com. Second, if you've enjoyed this episode of our Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends on social media. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Byte blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com bite to view the blueprint. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on your podcast platform of choice. And finally, if you'd like to search our podcast library of over 250 episodes for specific keywords, subscribe to our email list, or share feedback with us, please visit our website at tickbootcamp.com. Thank you, as always, for listening.